It's midday here on this Wednesday, September 29th. Tyler Cavalli with you. Glad to be a part of your day, wherever you may be tuning in. It's a wet one for some, and that may be uh, hampering you trying to harvest today, uh, slowing you down at least a little bit. We'll get more on that in our regional ag weather update coming up in about 15 minutes with Paul Perkins. Jason Jorgensen is in with sports, and Bob Rogan will uh, tell us how stocks are performing here as we've reached uh, midway through the week. But let's catch up with our own Susan Littlefield, who is joining us now. Susan, uh, wherever you may be, because you're all over, it seems like, are you receiving some rain? I am. I'm actually in surprise right now. Oh, back home. All right. Yep. Surprise, surprise. That was a bad joke. Yeah, it was a bad joke. Yeah, it was so bad. I was doing an interview. And the dogs come running into my office because it was thundering so loud. Ah, it looked like on the radar that in in that area there was a just a little cell, not very big, but just a little nope. one that was there. And it's gotten dark again, and it's starting to sprinkle. So mm. looks like there's more headed our way. Yeah, big system, kind of uh, north of Grand Island area, moving east and from basically York to Lincoln. So a lot of stuff happening there. But what do you have coming up for us on midday? We'll kick it off here at 1219. Dave steps in as he talks from his recent attendance of the Custer County Corn Growers Crop Tour. He'll talk with Jason Lamb of Lamb Farm and Feed Yard near Anselmo. He talks about uh, the things that they're doing with drip irrigation within their farming operation. Then at 1245, we're going to hear from K-State's weed management specialist as Sarah Lancaster talks about cover crop herbicide tolerance as we get ready to harvest the crop and put another crop in the field as we head towards winter. And then Alex will come in with K-State's Extension Associate Weed uh, Ward Upham that talks about tips for prepping houseplants for the winter months. It's a midday from us. All right, perfect. Thank you, Susan. And uh, we'll talk to you again later on. Sounds good. All right, let's catch up with our own Jason Jorgensen. Uh, what do you have for us? Uh, Northwestern coach Pat Fitzgerald is saying all the right things about the Nebraska defense, which is coming off its best half in a while. Still, they ended up with a loss against Michigan State. We'll let you hear what he has to say about that. Also, another home run last night for Salvador Perez. He's at 47. He leads the major leagues. He also leads the major leagues with 118 RBIs, but looks like there's no shot that he will be considered for the MVP. Mm, yeah, probably not. There's you have guys that are a dual, a dual threat like Shohei Otani and other guys. Uh, but Salvi has outplayed them all in the second half of the year, mm-hmm. and you could make the case. Well, Perez has had this wonderful year, yet the Royals have still struggled some. Although they've been better, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't look like they're going to lose ninety games this season, which is improvement. But what a year for Perez! One of the best statistical years for a catcher ever. Well, and along with that, if you're a Royals fan, like I know you are, uh, a lot to look forward to with the minors. I was looking through uh, the MLB pipeline, and they were talking about the best players in each position, and they ranked the catcher for the Royals as Uh the best catcher. Yeah, so Salvi might end up being a DH. (laughs) (laughs) Well, apparently it might work for him anyway. So, All right, very good. Bob, how are stocks looking? They're just a little bit higher as the uh, market is regaining its uh, legs a little bit after yesterday's sharp drop. The S&P 500 of five-tenths of a percent in morning trading. And uh, here's something a little bit different. Dollar Tree, the national chain of stores that promises everything for a buck, will begin introducing items on its shelves that will exceed a dollar. So they'll probably change the name to stuff for a little more than a dollar. <laughs> Santa, thanks.
Tampa Regional Ag Weather Update brought to you by Holt Ridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Paul Perkins is now joining us, and Paul, as predicted, it's a little wet out there. Yeah, already some showers and thunderstorms moving through the region. Some of that activity in and around the Broken Bow area to southeast Custer County. Some pretty good thunderstorms there towards Ansley and Litchfield. Pretty good line of some showers and thunderstorms right now in central Nebraska, south of O'Neill, down through around the Ord area to near St. Paul, then to east of Aurora and York, mainly from about York down to Lincoln and to the Tecumseh area. This activity moving off towards the east. A little bit of scattered activity right now from Lexington to just southwest of Holdridge. So Holdridge may be in line for a little bit of rain and also some of that light rain from Alma down to around Alameda, Kansas. Overall, those temperatures in the upper 60s to the low 70s, but we are seeing some sunshine start to reappear over southwest Nebraska and western Kansas, and that's where temperatures are starting to warm to about 75 to 80. It also seems like that these showers have gained strength as the morning has gone along. Yeah, we're running into a little bit more moisture as they do move to the east because those dew points are starting to crank back up. Right now, most of us with dew points in the low 60s across the central and east, but as you go farther west, a little bit drier on the air currently. But overall today, as we also talked about yesterday, uh, the temperatures are not going to be as warm as what they were pretty much last three days, but today more seasonal, if you will. You mentioned a little bit warmer than normal. We will see some breaks in the clouds for today. Just ahead of a slow-moving cold front and low pressure emerging out of the Rockies. A few thunderstorms possible today. The greater chances from west-central Nebraska into northwest Kansas. There should be enough breaks in the clouds to allow our temperatures to still reach into the 80s. This evening, widespread thunderstorms developing along a cold front from the sand hills to northwest kansas that front and thunderstorms moving to the east for tonight a few strong storms with gusty wind are possible the main story widespread rain amounts in most locations of one to two inches through tomorrow some heavy rain could produce some localized flooding thunderstorm coverage diminishing from northwest to southeast tomorrow many locations expected to be dry by noon tomorrow with the entire area likely to be dry by tomorrow evening once again expecting widespread rainfall totals of one to two inches in many locations that has prompted the issuance of a flash flood watch going into effect for parts of northwest kansas this evening through tomorrow morning this watch area from oberlin and norton kansas south to dighton and lacrosse some slow moving thunderstorms will be capable of producing that widespread heavy rainfall of one to two inches per hour with some local heavier amounts possible once again that's in parts of northwest kansas in between systems on friday it's likely to be dry before another Another round of thunderstorms arrives from the south late Friday night into Saturday. Sunday ushering in mostly dry weather into early next week. Daytime highs will remain near to slightly below normal in the mid to upper 60s. A return to warmer weather won't be far away. The latest long-term forecast continues to hold on to the outlook of overall warmer than normal temperatures for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the U.S. Monday through October 12th, especially late next week through the 12th. Near normal to slightly above normal rainfall is indicated Monday Monday through October 12th for Nebraska and Kansas. Key weather factors driving the markets include developing rain in the plains and eventually the Corn Belt, along with mostly beneficial weather in South America on the plains. Winter wheat planting ranges from 27% complete in Kansas to 61% complete in Nebraska as producers wait for rain to help with germination and establishment. And just in time, a multi-day rain event across the nation's midsection scattered to widespread rain across the central and southern plains will 
continue into the weekend. Five-day rain totals could reach one to five inches from Nebraska southward. Those highest amounts, though, expected in Texas. Late in the week, rain will overspread the Midwest, where one to two-inch totals may occur in the southern Corn Belt. Across the southern plains, the expected rain will cause some harvest delays, but be a welcome boost for soil moisture for winter wheat planting and establishment. The northern plains will see some rain through at least tomorrow and possibly across eastern areas Friday. Drier conditions likely by the weekend into next week. Northern Plains temperatures will remain above normal, continuing to provide good harvest conditions after the brief delays. Towards the Midwest, rain by the weekend could hinder harvest, but will keep soil moisture favorable for winter wheat. In central Brazil, scattered rain continues while more rain is developing over south Brazil. Brazil's active weather promoting the soybean and full-season corn planting, along with benefiting reproductive to filling wheat. Argentina expects more rain tomorrow through the weekend. Some of Argentina being missed, but the active weather continues to favor overall corn and soybean planting, along with reproductive to filling wheat. So it sounds like some areas, uh, a good chunk of our listening area, could see uh, a pretty good rain amounts before this is all done. Yeah, basically west central to northwest Nebraska on into much of central and eastern areas. Some widespread one to two inch rainfall totals. And the good thing about this is no major severe weather outbreak expected. Maybe a few strong storms, but at best we may see some gusty winds. Okay. All right. Well, for a full weather forecast, uh, in particular trying to find out how much rain we can get, where can they find that? Weather page, krvn.com. And more on our KRVM Facebook page. All right. Thank you, Paul. It's Public Power District. Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network. And I'm pleased to be visiting with Jason Lamb, who is a partner with the family operation called Lamb Farm and Feed Yard near Anselmo. And recently, they changed one cornfield over from conventional irrigation to a drip irrigation system. And so, Jason, tell me a little bit about that field and, and some of its characteristics. This field has been in our family for years. It is relatively flat. It has been gravity irrigated since probably the 60s or 70s, gravity pipe irrigation. And there is a giant water hole out in the middle just made it impossible really to put a pivot out there to keep all of our irrigated acres on the whole 160 acres in this one field. So at the time, there was a program through EQIP funding where we could convert from gravity irrigation to subsurface drip and keep all of our irrigated acres on arguably some of our very best ground and keep it all under irrigation. This, this drip system, it's a series of tapes that are spaced 60 inches apart all the way through the field. Then they have little water emitters about every two feet that just squirt out just a little bit of water all the time. Just constantly irrigates 24 hours a day. It revolves in a circle. There's it's all set up into 16 acre zones on our particular field and there are 10 16 acre zones and it just rotates through all of them once a day and in 24 hours with our well which pumps 1300 gallon a minute on that particular well we can get one third of an inch of water on in 24 hours now how far down is it located though we are, this tape is approximately a foot below ground on our piece of ground. So this is the first year you've had it. Uh, tell me about some of the positives you've seen so far with it. Well, this is actually, we installed this in 2015. Okay. 2015 was our first crop year with it. There have been lots of ups and lots of downs. It goes with any 
system, but uh, some of the positives are there are zero water evaporation. All the water that comes through this thing stays in the ground. Um, another positive is it's a great way to introduce nutrients into the soil. We pump a lot of fertilizer, 32% fertilizer, right into the soil this way, and we don't lose any of it through pivots or volatization or any of that. It's just right in the soil. It, uh, it has its downsides. There are leaks, lots of leaks. We will fix 60-plus leaks a year. But that is either due to rodents or tillage equipment or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, another real positive of this thing, compared to any of our other pivots right in the area, per irrigated acre, this one runs roughly 70 to 75% the cost on the electric bill as all the other irrigated pivots in the area. So uh, what about the economics of investing in it and uh, the payoff? Uh, has How long will that take? Uh, the payoff will take a while. But uh, investing in it, if it wouldn't have been for the EQIP program, we probably would not have invested in this. It was, as compared to versus putting in a pivot, this cost three and a half times the amount of money per irrigated acre as, say, a pivot would. Mm-hmm. Um, payoff's going to take a long time. All right. We'll be visiting with Jason Lamb, who is a part of the family partnership in Lamb Farm and Feed Yard near Anselmo. And I'm Dave Schroeder at the Custer County Corn Growers Tour near and sell more. Excellence. It is time for Midday Sports. Sports Director Jason Jorgensen is joining us. Huskers back at home. Homecoming football this upcoming Saturday. Yeah, night game against Northwestern. They roll in 2-2. Two and two. They've been up and down the first month for the defending Big Ten West champs. Head coach Pat Fitzgerald says the play of Nebraska's defense certainly has his attention. You know, it jumps out to me, uh, obviously, defensively, uh, you know, they're playing at an incredibly high level. It's 11 heartbeats operating as one. I know the pride they have in their black shirts, and, and uh, it's it's really impressive to watch. Uh, they're rolling multiple guys in there also, but, uh, you know, I've been impressed with them since they've gotten in the league as a coaching staff, and, and I think Eric does a great job. They're- now, Northwestern has struggled on offense this year. This might be a good matchup for the Huskers, but they are coming off their highest output of the year as they put up 35 points in their win against Ohio. Look for another close game on Saturday night. Eight of the ten Nebraska-Northwestern games since Nebraska joined the Big Ten have been decided by one score. Six of ten games have been decided by three points or less, with the school splitting those matchups 3-3. I don't know if you saw my tweet or not. Uh, did you see Nebraska's favored by 11 points? Yes. How? What? what how does that make any sense? Not what? even just off of that, the stats that you just gave. But Nebraska... Hasn't won any. They haven't beat anybody. Yeah, but Northwestern's not been very good in the first month either. But eleven, a two-score favorite. Do you know why? You know how they set those, right? They set that so they can get the maximum amount of money no, on either that. side. No, I get that. But I'm just. There's no way you should bet Nebraska favoring eleven. We'll see. You can't do it in Nebraska anyway because it's illegal. Tyler the Greek Cavalli here on 880 KRVN. Salvador Perez hit his major league leading 47th home run as the Royals beat the Indians. He just has had a year to remember. Mm -hmm. He leads the majors in RBIs with 118. He's hit 17 go-ahead home runs. He's just one home run behind Jorge Soler for the team record. He's been a much better Royal than Soler ever thought of being. I hope Salvi gets this record. And... He's only 31 years old. Yeah. 
He's still got some years left in him. A little bit. And he's had a year. And a 17-game winning streak has allowed the Cardinals to wrap up the second National League wild card with five days to go. St. Louis was just a meddling team back on mm-hmm. September 11th, 71-69. and 69. But since then, the longest winning streak in team history and the longest in the majors since 2017. Now, now that they're in... They need to save some of these wins. Mm-hmm. How ironic mm-hmm. would that be to run the table, get in the postseason, and then tap out? Well, we've seen that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only time, I shouldn't say the only time, but one of the times that it hasn't happened as of uh, recent memory is uh, when my Colorado Rockies went to win like 26 in a row, got to the World Series, and then sputtered out. Yep. Uh, Central Conference softball tournament in Aurora. They moved that from yesterday. I see they've already had to deal with one rain delay, but mm-hmm. looking at the radar, it looks like they might be okay for a little bit. Southwest Conference golf yesterday. Lindsey Becker of Cozad won that with a 78. As expected, broken bow. They took the team title. That is a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Brent Gloy and David Widmar. Ag Economic Insights, Friday morning at 1025 on 880 KRVN. It is time for Midday News. News Director Dave Schroeder is joining us, and uh, we're hearing more from Governor Pete Ricketts. Yes, Governor Ricketts has announced that the state is extending its directed health measure to address hospital staffing shortages. Initially, the DHM was set to expire at the end of this month. With the extension, it will remain in force through next month, unless renewed. This DHM suspends inpatient elective surgeries for all acute care, critical care, and children's hospitals in Nebraska. These are elective surgeries that can wait four weeks or longer without substantially changing a patient's outcome. According to state data, the number of people hospitalized with the virus in Nebraska hit 434 on Monday. That number has generally remained above 400 since mid-September. A string of drawings without a jackpot winner has grown the estimated Powerball jackpot for tonight's drawing to $570 million. That's because of the high jack, uh, because of that high jackpot, the Nebraska Lottery reminds customers to play responsibly. The Powerball jackpot starts at $20 million and continues to grow each drawing until it's won. This jackpot run has produced, uh, or this uh, jackpot run has produced seven big Powerball winners in Nebraska over the past several years. The Lincoln County Sheriff's Office and Sutherland Fire Department were called to a camper fire at a park in Sutherland uh, yesterday. Uh, Concerned citizens reported the camper engulfed in flames at 1.30 a.m. Upon arrival, neighbors informed deputies and firemen that a male lived in the camper and was likely inside. After putting out the fire, a body of a deceased person was found inside the camper. The preliminary investigation from state fire marshals showed the most likely cause of the fire was a faulty appliance. The body was sent for an autopsy and identification. The case remains under investigation. And Secretary of State Antony Blinken and senior Biden officials are kicking off two days of trade and technology talks with European Union counterparts in Pittsburgh. That's a check of the latest in news. I'm Dave Schroeder. Today we're going to take a focus of herbicide residue and your cover crops, along with... 
the cover crop tolerance when it comes to herbicides with the folks from Kansas State University. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Well, as a producer would follow their row crop harvest with a cover crop planting on the same ground this fall, accounting for herbicide carryover from that row crop would be wise. That's according to a Kansas State University weed management specialist. Sarah Lancaster says that the residual herbicide might or might not be a threat to the new cover crop stand. So much as usual depends on what the weather's been. The things that you have to have in order to get a herbicide to break down in the soil are a reasonable temperature, um, so above freezing um, for sure, but ideally like room temperature-ish is probably best, and we have to have plenty of moisture. So, you know, there were pockets of Kansas that are pretty dry um, this summer, and so as we think about certainly fall planting of cover crops, that could be something that that maybe could be a potentially greater problem than normal um, in those areas that were drier than usual this summer. And Lancaster notes that many common cover crops have a certain level of herbicide tolerance, but that does not necessarily mean that one should ignore the possible issue. You know, as we sort of think about a lot of the common products that we use, and then also think about some of the more common cover crops, you know, really our winter cereals are generally going to be a pretty safe bet. You know, there are some situations where you could see reduced stand or maybe some visual crop response, you know, some injury on some of your cover crop, but probably not a total loss. You know, then you could have a conversation. Well, if I'm going to get a stand, what's it matter? Why do I really care? But I would counter that with the fact that if we're planting these cover crops with the intent of getting lots of biomass very quickly, if we're slowing that process down by herbicide carryover, you know, there's some trade-offs there that farmers need to think about in terms of really being able to achieve their objectives with the cover crops, even though it may not be, you know, a total loss of the stand. So really to know for sure if herbicide carryover could damage a new cover crop stand, Lancaster does recommend conducting a field biosay, which is essentially planting a small test plot. Basically all you're doing is planting a test strip, waiting for it to come up, and then looking for any indication of herbicide injury, um, whether that be um, no stand or just those herbicide injury symptoms on the plants that come up. And really... You know, that's the most practical thing that folks can do. It doesn't need to be a big area. It does need to be an area representative of what you're going to plant compared to pulling samples and sending it off to the lab. If you really have concerns, that field bioassay is probably the better option. While the carryover from the previous crop might not wipe out the newly planted cover crop on the same acreage, it definitely could set back growth. And Lancaster said that she's found out about the herbicide tolerance of various popular cover crops, beginning with cereal rye. Cereal rye is going to have some sensitivity to things like atrazine or balance. Maybe you might have used in your corn. Um, We can also see some issues potentially with Valor or Outlook would be among the more common products um, that we might see a response to. Other things that tend to be safer would be things like Dual or Harness or Zidua tend to be pretty safe um, and have broken down enough by this time that they won't cause an issue. One of the reasons we like cereal rye as a cover crop is because it is so um, hardy um, and can, can come up in some pretty tough conditions. Now, legumes, on the other hand, are possibly more vulnerable to certain herbicide components. And Lancaster comments on a couple of examples. 
Yeah, so if you think about it, most of the weeds we're trying to target with a lot of these herbicides are broadleafs, right? So it kind of makes sense intuitively that the broadleaf cover crops would be a little more sensitive to some of these herbicides. So, you know, red clover um, in general is going to be more sensitive to most of the herbicides. Dual is generally pretty safe with red clover. Um, some things you definitely don't want to try with red clover would be mesotrione or callisto or, you know, products that contain mesotrione. Um, that will be not a good combination for getting a good red clover stand, which can be difficult on its own anyway. Hairy vetch, you know, it's a little larger seeded. It's also a legume, but it's a little larger seeded. And so it tends to have less sensitivity to some of the herbicides. Now, a number of producers plant brassicas as a major crop for grazing. Now, among the choices, there's radishes. And again, being a broadleaf species, there could be more prone to damage from residual herbicides. Probably the two biggest things to watch out for radish would be balance. So isoxaflutal or, or herbicides that contain that and then sharpen. So those would be a couple of things to really watch out for. But again, being a smaller seeded broadleaf, it tends to have um, sensitivity to a lot of products. About the only thing that the literature suggests are really safe um, would be dual and harness. So products that have metolachlor and acetochlor in them. That's K-State's weed management specialist, Sarah Lancaster. Now, she has actually created a special graph depicting the herbicide sensitivity of leading cover crop types as part of an information article on that subject. Now, you can find it at the K-State's Agronomy e-update newsletter. It's dated September 2nd, and it can be found at agronomy.ksu.edu. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Although it may not seem like it's necessary with the warm weather we've had, it is time to start prepping house plans for the winter. And today we're joined by K-State Extension Associate Ward Upham. Ward, first of all, tell us some of the things we need to know as we move into the cooler months for these plants. So if you've had your house plants outside, there's a couple of things you really need to keep in mind. One is that there may be insects that are on those plants that need to be taken care of before they're brought inside. One of the ways you do that is just to spray those plants with a strong jet of water to wash away any mites or other small insects such as aphids before you bring them in. The other thing to keep in mind is that there can also be insects in the soil. And in those cases, what you do is you just soak that pot underwater for about 15 minutes. The other thing to keep in mind is that those plants now are used to high light levels, and therefore when you move them in, you have to get them used to those lower light levels. You do that by starting them out in the most sunny part of the house and gradually move them to where their final location will be. Now, that can take, depending on what the plant, it can take one to two months to complete that process. If you don't, you're going to lose some leaves. It's going to drop some of those leaves. Okay. Tell me about some common mistakes that people might make. You know, they might be thinking they're doing the right thing, but it's not exactly super helpful. Yeah. So with houseplants, a big thing is just moving them too quickly. And so that's the thing you really watch. The other thing is fertilization. You have a lot less light in the winter than you do in the summer, even inside the house, even in a south-facing window. You have two things going on with light there. One is that you have shorter days, so you have less um, number of hours of sunlight, and also that sunlight is weaker. 
on a clear summer day in the middle of summer, you can have 10,000-foot candles of light. During the middle of winter, that may be 1,000-foot candles of light. So you have a tenth of the intensity of light in the middle of winter than you do in the middle of summer. And those plants react to that. Therefore, what people tend to do is when those plants start to look a little droopy in the middle of winter, they think what they need is extra water or extra fertilizer. And those things are both bad for the plants in the middle of winter. What they need is more light. And so what you want to do is cut back on watering and cut back on fertilization. A lot of people won't fertilize their house plants between November through February just because they don't need it. They don't have enough sunlight there to make use of that. Also, it's very easy to overwater. You know, stick your finger into that pot maybe about an inch deep. If it's moist, you don't need to water. After a while, you can get good enough. You can just lift the pot, and depending on how uh, light it is, you can determine whether it's time to water or not. Absolutely. All right, Ward, what else is important to mention about house plants or fall plants that we haven't talked about yet? If you're talking about outside plants, one of the most important things is to make sure they go into the winter with moist soil. And that's because those plants, even in the winter, are losing water. And if we have a very warm, dry winter, you can actually get some root damage if you don't keep that soil moist. If we have a cold winter, we're going to be fine. But if we have warm and dry periods during the winter, uh, we need to have moist soil through that time, especially if you have evergreens that are losing much more water than a deciduous plant would. Okay, perfect. Ward, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You bet. And again, we've been speaking with Ward Upham. He's an extension associate with Kansas State University. You can also find these tips on our website, ruralradionetwork.com. From the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. The difference. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network, now talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with StoneX on the Grain Side, publisher of the Daily Newsletter this week in Grain. And John, we have grains coming back into the green here midweek ahead of a big data report coming out from USDA tomorrow. But I don't focus on that so much as I focus on what a StoneX fertilizer analysis had to tweet about when it looks like China, who controls a large portion of the phosphorus market, may not be exporting out until mid-next year. What does this signal to the grain trade? Well, you know, if you look at the way that we trade, typically the ag prices reflect fertilizer prices. So, you know, one might lag a little bit, but in the long run, you look at where we are. If you think prices are um, are going to stay here, which I don't know if they will or not, I think a lot of folks are shocked by prices at this point. But, you know, that, that I don't think is changing much behavior. I don't know if you're seeing people not buy as much given how expensive it is. Um, you know, you look at some of those deferred contracts like 2023. It might even be worth a hedge there. Um, and buying that contract because you look at where fertilizer prices are now, if they don't decline, that, that price on that, that commodity is way too cheap. So you see the case uh, in the market like cotton where we've really rallied the last couple of weeks. Wheat uh, you know, has a long way to go to, to chase where it usually trades with fertilizer. And then corn and beans as well. They, they led the, the market higher as we traded into the $750 and you know, $15 price point for soybeans. Um, but uh, since this, the midsummer and really the September roll, we haven't seen, um, we really haven't seen the, the corner bean markets even make an attempt at a rally outside of uh, the USDA report driven uh, action back in August. So we look for kind of something tomorrow, maybe to spur the trade. I certainly am enthused by looking at uh, some of the competition crops and, and overseas markets. And I just think there's, it's, it's only a matter of time. 
and other macro market forces today. The U.S. dollar index seemingly surging really the last two trading sessions. Does that concern anything from an analytical's perspective? No. I mean, I think that's where you know, the money flow really could make a difference here. If you, if you don't have a stimulus package passed, and that's the main bio, uh, the, the $1.5 trillion plan, uh, if that doesn't pass, you're going to see folks, you know, there'll be a cash crunch for consumers. Now, how much will, will be determined, but if they're raising rates combined with lack of fiscal policy changes, then we're, we're dealing with a different ball game here. And I think that's where you can see the dollar surge, maybe a run short term on commodities. But again, I don't think the, the, the corporate users right now are caught short. And I think they're going to use any breaks they can get to bought to buy. And in the case of corn, I mean, I think the break is the five bucks and in beans, you're looking at like 1260, 1240. Uh, so those are the areas. If you're going to own it here, I think you got to be able to hold it through those price points, which means you get some volatility tomorrow could try to shake you out. That is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst now with StoneX. You can always learn more at StoneX.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options of all risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Consider these risks before investing. much clay that'll wrap up midday here on this wednesday catch the midday podcast available at krvn.com later today